among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Is it Christ Jesus who died? Yes, who was raised from the dead? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed intercedes for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our second lesson, and I am reading from Psalm 46, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is with her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. May God bless this portion of his word. To our let us all pray. O oh God, our Father, we thank you for the gift of this day of worship. We bless you that you have given so much to us. We thank you for the measure of health that we have, for whatever possessions you have entrusted to us. And our prayer now is that you will supervise the gifts which we bring here. 
and guide them so that they may bring glory to our Savior. And now bless us, our Father, as we look into your good word to see your great love and to understand how it blesses us today. For Jesus' sake, amen. Many times in the Old Testament we find that the Hebrew people become attached to one particular place or one thing. And under the guidance of God, they saw in that particular thing a promise that God would fulfill. A promise that He would also use in the future. Often we see great events, concrete, specific events that take place in the Old Testament which predict something which will happen in the future. For example, in the Old Testament we read about the Exodus where God brings His people out of the bondage in Egypt. And we see the celebration of the great festival of the Passover where the angel of God comes and passes over those upon whose house uh, there is placed the blood of a lamb slain. And that lamb becomes the Paschal lamb, the Passover lamb, the lamb of God by which is prefigured for us what Jesus Christ will do when that night in the upper room in one of the most tense and anxious moments in all of human history, he says to his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then further on that evening, he says, This is my body, broken for you. This is my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And he invites those of us who claim to be his followers to keep that feast and to have this concrete, specific assurance of our salvation. It all is fulfilled at Calvary, and then in the Lord's Supper, and then in ultimately the promise of his coming again. There is also the land of Canaan toward which the people of Israel moved after crossing the Red Sea. We know how they wandered in the wilderness for some forty years. And not only was that an actual land toward which they were moving, but that land of milk and honey, which was described for them, has always been prefigured as a type or a symbol of heaven. And so we sing songs that speak about Canaan or about heaven. I can always remember one of the hymns I talked to my mother on Christmas Day. And I remember one hymn that she used to sing over and over as a little boy. I heard her sing it. I am bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. Uh, that's a great hymn. It's a great hymn because it pictures for us that which we go through in life in reaching toward God and in obeying Him. And I'm glad that I had a mother who taught me the Christian faith and whose faith was a singing faith. I actually think as I grow older that children learn more from singing than maybe any other way. That's why it's so important that we should guard the music that they uh, sing. I'm glad this morning that the quartet sang for us, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. What a wonderful promise that is. That makes a great amount of sense to me. Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Think about that for a moment. Without Him, I don't think I'd want to live. In fact, I know I wouldn't. Life would simply have no meaning for me apart from Jesus Christ. 
and I would not want to face tomorrow. Now the psalmist, in giving us these figures, speaks to us where we are today because each one of us is faced with stress. I have to go through a stress test uh, in uh, some weeks ahead where the doctors will hook me up to all kind of equipment and start a treadmill and will monitor my blood pressure and my heartbeat. Uh, they do this in order to see if the, uh, there is a sufficient flow of blood to the muscles of my heart. Uh, there are also stresses that enter into us emotionally and they have also been measured by some scientists at the University of Washington. And one of the things that I read in preparation for this was that uh, Dr. Thomas H. Holmes and his colleagues there at the University of Washington Medical School have said that uh, in a year uh, we accumulate stress in different ways and they rank the stress that we pass through. On their scale, the death of a spouse equals 100 units. Divorce equals 73 units. Christmas, by the way, equals 12 units of stress. And some of us who just go through this can believe that. They also put a red line on that, that after 200 units of stress, uh, we come close to falling apart. So what do we look for in the Bible to tell us when trouble comes? Martin Luther wrote that first hymn which we sung when he was in a fortress and when he was under great oppression because he wished to deliver into the language of the people the Word of God. And so in 15 and 29 when he started translating the 46th Psalm from Hebrew to German, he wanted to prove to the German people that God did not speak Latin, such as the priests were seeking to give the people this understanding. They were saying to the people, you must not have the, the language uh, of the Bible in your own tongue. And Martin Luther said, that's nonsense. When the Son of God came into the world, the angels came to a group of working men, to some shepherds, and told them, glory to God in the highest, that when Jesus called followers, he called fishermen, working people, to come and follow him. So Luther said it doesn't make any sense not to put the language uh, of the Bible into the language of the people. And so he translated that great psalm, the 46th Psalm. Then as he realized that he had a price on his head and that he would be hounded from village to village, he began to think about it. His hobby was music. He played a guitar, he played an organ. And Martin Luther wrote both the words and the music to this remarkable hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And he goes back, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. That's sort of the first stanza of the hymn of the 46th Psalm. Biblical scholars believe that this hymn was written at the time when the people of God were surrounded by enemies. And if you remember from 2 Kings or 2 Chronicles or Isaiah, the account of how Hezekiah, 
once was delivered an ultimatum by the king of Assyria that he had to surrender the people of God and the city of Jerusalem into the hands of the enemy or it would be destroyed. And you remember that the ambassadors of the king of Assyria came and spoke to the people on the wall in the Hebrew language and they taunted them and said God would not deliver them. And how Hezekiah in fear and trembling had received a letter from this king demanding his surrender. When he went to Isaiah the prophet and said, what shall I do? Isaiah told him to go into the temple and pray that God would deliver them. And Hezekiah took that letter and went into the temple of God and spread it before the Lord, the King James tells us, and offered up his prayer asking God to deliver them. Do you sometimes get a letter that strikes fear into your heart and loads you up with stress? I have people sometimes who come into my office with a letter telling them that they no longer have a job or that something else has happened and their eyes are full of tears and their hearts are heavy and they are shaking because they don't know what the future holds. Spread the letter before the Lord. Ask God to bless. And God does come and bring blessings. And so he does with Hezekiah. And the people of God were delivered in a marvelous answer to prayer as Sennacherib's great host and army was completely destroyed in one single night. And they went back by the way in which they had uh, arrived there. And the Lord wrought a mighty deliverance for his people. All the time on television we're seeing scenes Scenes that remind us very much of what we see here. We see the earth being shaken. We see mountains uh, in upheaval as volcanoes erupt. We see the waters of the sea swirling. This is a great commotion and great trouble and confusion that comes. And the psalmist is saying to us here, God is our refuge. He is our fortress, as Luther found. He is our fortress, as the Covenanters found in Scotland. He is our fortress, as we find to this day. I remember picking up an article once in an English newspaper. It was an account of one of the most valuable objects that they had at the Durham Cathedral in Durham, England. It was the head of a lion that was a knocker at the door of that cathedral on the big doors that were there and it's guarded very carefully because it dates all the way back to the Middle Ages. Back in that time if a man were being pursued by an enemy and if he were able to get to Durham Cathedral and grab hold of that big knocker, that big brass knocker and pound away with it loudly and the priest came and opened the door of the cathedral and he came in. No matter who his enemies were, that they could not come inside the cathedral because the right of sanctuary had been extended and the person who ran there came and found refuge. Well, the psalmist says, God is our great fortress. God is our refuge. And he is a very present help. He is the God who is here right now today when we have stresses just as real as those that were mentioned a moment ago there is a river 
That's a great line. There is a river. This stands for peace like a river. This stands for the river that's in the book of the Revelation where we are told that God's great peace can flow into our hearts and make us glad. Hezekiah was smart enough to be able to build a water supply that could come under the city of Jerusalem and supply it with water and archaeologists have found it to this day. But here, this speaks to us of the peace which God brings because he is in the midst of us. Jesus told that poor woman at the well of Samaria who had been married five times and was living with a man then who was not her husband. She had come there to the well thirsty and Jesus had said to her, if you knew the one who is speaking to you, you would ask and he could create within you a well of water that would always be springing up and which would satisfy your thirsty soul. She wanted to know who the Messiah was and Jesus said to her plainly, I that speak to thee am he. I have often thought about this, that he reveals to this much married woman, this person who would not have been regarded with any respect at all in that community and yet it is to her that he reveals who he is. The Savior had an eye for sinners and he wanted them to thirst after him and he spoke to them and that woman went into the city and brought out the whole village saying come and see a man who told me all the things that ever I did. He knows all about every one of us and what's going through our mind right now. He knows whether we're phony or plastic or whether we're real in our relationship to him or whether it makes any difference if 1985 is going to be a year in which we seek to live for him or not or whether we will really let him make the decisions through us that we have to make day by day whether he will discipline our lives or not he knows it all and that woman brought the city back out to meet Jesus because she had found in him a stream of water it could make her thirsty heart satisfied. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Jacob would not have been unlike that woman. If he had said the God of Abraham is our refuge, I think Abraham is too high for me. Abraham was called a friend of God. He was a man of great faith. If he had said the God of Isaac, I would have thought about one who was willing to be so great a sacrifice. And that would cause me to tremble. But the God of Jacob, oh, Jacob was, he was a con artist. Uh, Jacob was uh, such a, a deceitful character. And yet God took him and wrestled with him in the form of an angel. And Jacob was changed in the night. Jacob was changed. And that person who was changed brings to us the comforting fact that the God of Jacob can be our God too, that he can change us and make us what we ought to be. A psalmist comes back with the great stanza, Come and behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in all the earth. You know, we can't vaunt ourselves up against God. 
because every time we do, then we see those huge silos with their great missiles and their huge rockets, and we wonder. We know that man, I hear the politicians talk about permanent world peace, a permanently high economy. Man does not have it within his capability to produce permanence. Permanence is an attribute of God. I remember once discussing that with David Lawrence, the editor of U.S. News and World Report, and I reminded him of a editorial that he had written in U.S. News and World Report, and we were at a, a breakfast meeting in, in Washington. I remember because the White House protocol aide who was sitting by me kicked me under the table because David Lawrence is a Jew, and uh, he's gone now from this earth, but uh, this guy thought I shouldn't have been talking to him about Christ. But Lawrence was very interested in what I was saying about Jesus Christ, and he said, Reverend, I've written a lot of editorials, and I can't remember the one you're talking about now, but he said, I like the sound of it. And you know what he did when he got back home? Uh, he had his secretary or researcher look it up and he sent me a copy of the editorial and he said I like it so much that I'm reprinting it in uh, an article in US News and so he did reprint it the title of the article was the illusion of permanence we see change when we come to the end of the year and the beginning of a new year the illusion of permanence now God is the one who brings permanence and Lawrence recognized that fact. A good Hebrew would recognize that fact. Amen is the word for rock and stability. He maketh wars to cease unto the ends of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. You want a peace program? Preach the gospel. That'll bring more peace than all the pamphlets you'll ever pass out. He burneth the chariot in the fire and in this is a word that our day needs. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. When I get in a hurry, I always forget something. But if I'm still for a moment and think, I'm more likely to remember. We live in a time when music has just gotten to be noise in many places. Uh, it's a nightmare. And we're not still enough to know God. But if we are still and know who God is and that he is here and that he will be exalted, his will will come to pass, then we will know that he's going to have the final word, that he is the Lord of hosts, he's got his angels everywhere, that he is the God of Jacob, he changes people, and that he is our refuge. He is the one to whom we go. And how do we tie this into Romans 8? Well, Romans 8 tells us if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8 tells us that I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Romans 8 tells us that he delivered up his own son so that we might be forgiven. Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns for us. And so that means that height nor depth, nor what happens today, nor what may happen tomorrow, 
It means that nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is demonstrated for us gloriously when we come to the Lord's table. Augustine, when he was about 60 years old, went through the experience of seeing Rome fall. The word came to him in Carthage that Rome had fallen. And when the word reached Augustine that Rome had fallen after standing all those centuries, he thought all culture and civilization will now be plunged into darkness. But then he wrote to some people these words, You thought that the passing of Rome and of the stability which she gave to the world meant the end of everything? You were utterly wrong. Rome was an earthly city and shall not be everlasting. But God's kingdom and his city, the church, is indestructible. Human cities will rise and fall, but the city of God, the city of God will remain. And so, why does it remain? And what's our message here? We come to the refuge because we're all sinners and we need a Savior. And our refuge is to this great table where God has demonstrated in concrete, specific order his love for us. So that if we are willing to confess our sins, he is willing to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that he is able to speak peace to our souls. To bring rest where there is no rest because of faith and trust in him is presiding over our lives and bringing the answer to our sins here. The blessed Lord's Supper tells us that when the devil had done his worst in trying to kill the Son of God at Calvary, as Jesus said, Satan, he saw fall like lightning from heaven because in that moment at Calvary, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be delivered from sin. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And that means that we can begin the new year being forgiven and know that just as really as we taste the bread and just as really as we taste the fruit of the vine, just so really did Jesus Christ die for us that our sin 